Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. It has been yet another minute before we've had back-to-back podcast episodes, and I, I want to say one thank you for your patience. Uh, we've been dealing with Hurricane Ida, uh, particularly in the southeast Louisiana area, particularly my parents' house and the river parishes just outside of New Orleans just got absolutely creamed. And so actually, I've, I've been down there, a couple of followers and I, uh, as well as the rest of the Speckle Truth crew, actually went down to that area to my folks' house, help clean up and uh, do some kind of community support, cutting trees, um, helping folks kind of clear their properties and kind of posture themselves for kind of a next step of recovery. So I want to say thanks and just kind of generally express my gratitude and appreciation for your patience. Because I know, you know, and the feedback we get is that, you know, people are looking forward to these episodes and we get that and we appreciate that followership, but on the same token is, and as y'all know, family always comes first. So I had to take care of, take care of pops and my mom. So awesome guest today. Before we get there, I want to take a sec, old school October, uh, and hopefully our guest participates. I'll, I'll get to that here in a sec, but old school October registration is open. Uh, obviously starts one October. The lore of choice for the, for the month is the old, like, shrimp tail. It's from K Wigglers. It's actually one of the first kind of soft plastic lures uh, out there. And it's again, another tribute to one of those old school baits. You fish it exclusively for the month. You can register online uh, at Speckle Truth and all proceeds. Let me rephrase that. Half of the proceeds goes to captains for clean water. So we're able to partner with them. Last year, we had half of our proceeds go to release over 20. This year, half of our proceeds goes to captains for clean water as they advocate for a lot of our water quality issues across a myriad of different estuaries. So thanks for your participation. Get out there, sign up, have fun. Uh, and then obviously the more fish you catch, uh, particularly the ones over 20 inches, because that's the only ones you can register, um, you enter, uh, and it's almost like getting raffle tickets, you enter to win various prizes, charter trips, rods, reels from Waterloo. We got a ton of sponsors uh, that have donated some product. And so um, again, it's an awesome time. We had tremendous participation last year and hopefully we have it again this year. So thanks for your support. Appreciate your patience. And without further ado, let's get to it. I want to welcome to the show, Marshman Mass on Todd. Welcome to the show, buddy. Chris, uh, what an honor, man. Thank you so much for asking. It's, uh, it, it's, it's truly an honor. I, I've admired from afar what you've, uh, what you've built in a few short years and, uh, I've, I've got to say that among all of my Instagram followers, uh, I can't think of any that I look more forward to seeing their posts than, uh, than the Speckle Truth <laughs> posts. Well, I, I know that because like, you know, you just kind of alluded to, I've admired you from afar because, and we'll get into it a little bit with regards to print and kind of your, you know, stamp that you've put kind of in print media as well as digital media and things of that nature. But I've been an admirer and I know and I appreciate and I can empathize with your genuine love. And that's why I asked you to be on the podcast 
um, because I know as well as anybody in the Southeast Louisiana area that you have a tremendous affinity for speckled trout. Is that, that's pretty correct, right? If I'm, if I'm not too far off. Yeah. And you know, Chris, uh, yeah, I wrote a book on, on the species and, uh, man, it's, uh, <laughs> that book is, uh, it's actually quite dated. Uh, 20 years ago, I published that book. Uh, it's, it's entitled Specs. Uh, there aren't too many copies floating around anymore. We actually sold every one we printed, and, mm-hmm. and I've seen a few on, uh, you know, available on Amazon or eBay. And you know, people are asking like a thousand dollars for signed copy and stuff. I'm like, man, that's that's. Are, are you I'll, I'll sign a copy for half that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, and and I stated in that book, like I, I I and I still to this day, twenty days later, I I, I cannot. I mean, twenty years later, I cannot figure out what it is about the species that has so um, captured my fascination. I really don't know what it is. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a formidable foe. Uh, and I think Mm -hmm. that's what it is. It's, you know, I enjoy catching redfish. In fact, I went this week and caught a bunch of them. Um, uh, I enjoy catching flounder. I enjoy catching largemouth bass. Um, but yeah, yeah, socolate is just something though about a speckled trout uh, it, it, you, you feel like you're kind of on an even, even playing field. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think he thinks that as well. And, and they're just a smart, clever fish. You've got to figure them out. Um, you know, I kind of almost, almost equate them with, with women, right? You know, it's, it's nothing you can, um, you know, you, and, and what works today is not going to work tomorrow. Uh, you think you get them figured out and you get cocky and confident and they make an absolute fool out of you. Uh, and, and, and that's what keeps you coming back every day. You cannot figure these fish out. And, um, the more arrogant you get, the more elusive they become. And, uh, just, I, I love them. I'll, I'll go to the grave just, you know, thinking every night about, about speckle trout. And I, I, I make no apologies for that. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of our culture, right? I mean, you're from Southeast Louisiana. I know a lot of our listenership is from all over. Um, but for folks who don't know you, you are from Southeast Louisiana. So we really grew up. Did you grow up in Metairie? Uh, I sure did. Yeah. I grew up okay. In yeah. So we, we grew up in the same hometown. We probably fished you know, I fish my home waters are Port Salford, Louisiana. I know you're kind of, uh, kind of on the, I guess the east side, Delacro, Hopedale, Hopedale, excuse me, uh, Point Lash. Is that is that about right? Yeah, actually, you know, to be honest, um, I, I grew up fishing with my maternal grandfather. He, he's the one mm-hmm. who introduced me to fishing. I, I literally remember the day, mm-hmm. uh, and I was I was six years old, and and I, I was I was captivated, smitten from the get go. Uh, we used to go to the MRGO. It was very, very young back then. The MRGO is the Mississippi River Gulf, Gulf Outlet, for those who are not uh, from this area. Basically, a channel that the Army Corps of Engineers uh, dug to make a quicker shipping port or, or a quicker access to the, to the port of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was an absolute environmental disaster, as many people predicted it would be. Um, but back in the, in the 70s, my grandfather used to take me to fish there. Uh, and because uh, it was this deep channel, it basically funneled uh, salty gulf water into the estuary. And uh, we would just go and, and catch what we call white trout, which a lot of people call sand trout, uh, catch croakers, uh, speckled trout, and, and you know, what now would be undersized redfish. 
uh, and you know, we just dropping dead shrimp on the bottom. And, and it was just, it was heaven. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the best moments of my life or the Friday nights before we were going fishing, the worst moments of my life was Saturday afternoon. My grandfather said, okay, we got to head in. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it, it was ingrained in me from a, from a, you know, as, as a young man and, and I, I fished my whole life and I'm very grateful to my maternal grandfather because my father's not a fisherman. He's never been, uh, you know, I've taken him a few times, obviously he's gone fishing, but he's just, mm-hmm. it's just not in him. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't love it like I do. And, you know, it's something I was, uh, fortunately able to pass on to my son and, you know, he's a fanatical angler. And so he and I do that together and it's, you know, it's how we, how we share our time and, um, so yeah, that's, that's basically, I grew up fishing by B Avenue, definitely made a few trips to Delacroix, Hopedale. I was all those areas you mentioned, Point Lahash, certainly. Uh, but my home waters were out of, out of by B Avenue. Okay. But, you know, getting back to it, right. I mean, culturally us growing up kind of in the Southeast Louisiana area. And I heard Ty Hibbs actually, <clears throat> um, on a podcast that I was listening to, uh, me and him are friends. I know you, you guys know each other real well as well. And he was kind of explaining it in that podcast. And he was like, I can't, I think it was a captain's collective. And I think they're based either out of the Carolinas or <clears throat> somewhere on the East coast. But he was trying to explain him. He's like, dude, like trout is king uh, in Southeast Louisiana. Why? Like nobody knows, right? It's just, there's so much um, just dedication. There's, it's just ingrained in our DNA as a saltwater angler of like, it's trout than everything else. Right. I mean, at least growing up, you know, underneath the, the, the watchful eye of my pops in, in the Port Sulphur complex. I mean, <clears throat> if it was literally anything else that came over the gunnels, it was a trash fish to include redfish. I'm serious, right? I mean, and obviously he's a pretty fanatical trout angler, but that's just how it was and how it is. And I think that that kind of mindset and that cultural, you know, setting is kind of that that's just again kind of who we are and and now moving to texas and moving around a different kind of gulf coast states there's really no true dedication aside from texas to speckled trout right living in florida you got tarpon permit you know you got your bonefish you got your snook then redfish then it's probably trout and you got some dedicated guys but really trout here you know you can make legends out of anglers here in texas but uh, really southeast it's so much of a of our cultural makeup uh, it's kind of hard to explain, you know? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you, you get out of towners who come in and, and fish with local guides and, and they want to catch redfish. Right. And, and and I get it. It makes sense. You know, redfish <laughs> definitely outfishes. I mean, outfights a trout, right. It's, yeah. it's going to run you around the boat a few times and, and, uh, you know, you don't, you're not really sure if you're going to get it in or not. And, um, I totally understand it, but, um, you know, that's okay. <laughs> you can have the redfish. I want to go target the speckled trout. That's right. And, you know, you know, as a guide, heck I, I don't want to target trout <laughs> i'd much rather go target redfish throw <laughs> throw dead shrimp under a cork on, on a point you know that's yep. that's definitely a whole lot easier so um yeah i i don't know i'll never understand it but uh but you know that's okay i don't have to understand it i just i just love the species yeah so do you remember like catching your first like speckled trout and kind of what it was or, or maybe your first kind of larger fish uh does that like a certain memory you targeting fish kind of you know, resonate with you? You know, I, I, I can't say I remember my first speckled trout. I was a very, very young man. I was, you know, six or seven years old uh, when that happened. So I can't, I can't say, 
uh, that I do. I, I vividly remember one particular trip my, my grandfather took uh, my sister and me. My sister's two years older than I am, and I was probably seven or so. Uh, and that poor man, <laughs> he, he, he baited hooks, you know, that back then we used dead shrimp. That's what we threw on, on what we called shad rigs, a double rig. And we caught speckled trout every single cast, two at a time. Uh, he would bait us up. We would cast out instantly. You hook up with two trout, reel them in. He would take them off. He'd bait. It. And so my sister and I were like a, an assembly line and we just had the time of our lives, uh, catching those fish. I'm sure we kept every one we caught. Uh, that's <laughs> yep. what you did back then. Yep. And, um, you know, showed the pictures to, to, you know, you had to actually shoot the pictures on film and get them developed. Uh, but then after that showed them to everybody we knew and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's just, just, just great memories of, uh, of yeah. youth, uh, on the water targeting fish. And, uh, man, I just, I, I, I don't know. I agree for all these kids who, uh, spend their time on video games and, and yeah. stuff like that and not getting out and experiencing that. And every time I'm in the marsh, I think of that, like, how can people, how, how can you have mental sanity just living in the rat race and never getting to experience this? And, you know, particularly people around here, it's in, it's in your backyard. It's easy to get yep. to. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just glad I, I was exposed to it and that uh, I've spent my career uh, going into the um, really, you know, the Louisiana marshes are uh, like no place else in the world. Yeah. And, and I, I get the, I get the joy of, of my career spent in those marshes. I'm a very fortunate man. No, absolutely. And I mean, based off of what you chose to do in terms of your career path, you know, kind of led you to maybe enjoy both, right? I mean, establish a career <clears throat> in fishing, but also, you know, continuing obviously in building your career. So, for folks that don't know, before you, you know, you had the successes and the success, the current success with uh, Marshman Mass on your t YouTube channel, um, talk to uh, or tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into kind of print media as well as like, you know, the, the fishing industry, if you will, in, in kind of that capacity. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, that actually goes back to my high school years when, um, you know, I, I, I recognized and, and teachers helped me to recognize that, um, you know, I just, I, I had a talent for writing. I mean, mm -hmm. I knew I did and, 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 you know, they recognized it as well. Um, and uh, I knew, I knew very early, maybe 10th grade or so that, uh, that I wanted to be a journalist and, uh, also knew that I was a fanatical angler. I didn't think those two things would ever align, but, uh, uh, I went to college, majored in print journalism. And, and while I was there, I went to Loyola in New Orleans. Okay. Uh, I literally, I was at Schwagman's, which was a local <laughs> grocery on airline? store. Chain. I, I was at the one in airline. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yep. And, uh, I, I saw a magazine called Louisiana Sportsman. I'd never seen it before, never heard of it. This was in probably 91, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. uh, end of 91. And, and I picked it up and I, I, I was like, this is, this is my Bible now. Uh, I, I bought it at Schweigman's, brought it home and read it cover to cover. And I sent the editor at the time, a, a woman named Ann Taylor, yep. uh, a, a, a query. Nope, that's not true, actually. Let me correct myself. I should have sent a query, but I was too ignorant to know how the process worked. Uh, I wrote a story 
and and sent it to Ann, and uh, she received it and called called me. Uh, which even having Ann call me back yep. then was like, wow, I'm, this this is incredible. Uh, and and said she loved it and was going to publish it and <laughs> truly one of the happiest days of my life. And sure. and she was actually going to pay me to write a story about fishing. Like, okay. Um, uh, so she published it. Uh, I literally still have that story to this day. It was on uh, uh, a, a canal called the Borrow Canal that runs along Highway 90 uh, between well, right at the connection of, of, of Jefferson and, and St. Charles Parish. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was just amazing to me that she published it. Well, uh, I continued to write off and on for her while I was in college. And I answered a blind ad uh, when, when I was close to graduation uh, for a newspaper position. Well, unbeknownst to me, it was for a newspaper run out of the same office as Louisiana Sportsman. Uh, I went interviewed and they offered me the position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I began to write for that paper. I also wrote for the sportsman and uh, I did that for about three or four months. And Anne was pregnant at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. She, uh, uh, her due date was approaching. She asked me if I wanted to fill her duties while she was out. Absolutely. So, uh, make a very long story short, that was my first uh, exposure to Louisiana Sportsman. And within uh, about a year from that point, uh, Ann approached me and said, I really want to step back. I'd like to make you editor. And uh, and like, yeah, absolutely. And, and I was editor of the Sportsman from that point until 2012 when uh, I left to, you know, obviously uh, I had a great run, Sportsman. Mm-hmm. Warford, Ann and Tony Taylor, just yeah. absolutely great people. Uh, uh, just a, an incredible career, but, uh, you know, print journalism, uh, writing was on the wall and, and it was in decline, no question about it. So I, I left to launch a, a website called lspecs.com, mm-hmm. uh, which I ran for about six months or so, uh, until, uh, I saw that the Picayune, uh, was looking to hire an outdoor editor, Bob Marshall, who had done it for, I don't know, previous 20, 25 years before that had left. And, uh, you know, Bob was kind of one of my idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, the only job I would have, would have, uh, killed LASpecs.com for. And, uh, I interviewed for that job and, and they offered it to me. Uh, so I went to work there, worked there for, uh, for six years, but of course, <laughs> yep. Uh, it was print journalism and, and it was, as I mentioned in decline and, and, uh, you know, started kind of seeing the writing on the wall there. Uh, my last year there, they, they approached me and asked me if I'd be willing to start a YouTube channel, uh, on fishing. I'm like, sure. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> yeah. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm not a videographer, but you know, I know this job is going to come to an end. I know I'm going to get laid off at some point. I know that's going to happen. So why not train uh, under their video guy, uh, a guy named Aaron Fisher, who was stupidly talented, um, and let him teach me. I'll basically go to school for for however long they'll they'll let me do this, and they'll pay me. Uh, well, it ended up lasting a year, and. Um, uh, then they, you know, uh, <laughs> they came for me and, uh, uh, the Grim Reaper knocked on my door and said, Hey, it's your turn. And, um, 
you know, I asked him, you know, will you give me the channel? He said, sure, we'll give you the channel. No problem. No problem at all. So they gave me Marshman Masson. Okay. And uh, uh, that's what I've been been doing ever since. That's my uh, it's my full time job, basically taking people out into the um, marshes of South Louisiana and showing them what incredible fishing we have here and hopefully helping them to uh, to catch some of those fish on their own. And what was that learning curve like? You know, I mean, I'm, like you said, you went from, you know, print journalism, being a writer to now vid- video editing and, and shooting that and, film, you know, doing filming and stuff like that. Like, that, to me, that's the most daunting part. And I don't do any of that stuff. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, learning how to do and, and, and work within editing software and things of that nature or different cameras, camera angles, like you like we were talking about pre-show, a little bit about like audio and, and video and kind of pairing those up. Like, what was that learning curve like? Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you this. I, I still, I don't know anything. I literally don't. <laughs> I don't know anything. But um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, been <laughs> it's been a very sloped learning curve. But um, yeah, you know, fortunately for me, you know, I mentioned Aaron Fisher and that guy was just an absolute gem of a boss. Uh, I can't say enough good about him. He was very patient, very, um, uh, you know, he, he just instructed me really, really well and, and was always there for me to ask questions. And I had a million of them and uh, it was definitely, definitely challenging. I've got to tell you, it's it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not easy and, and it's a lot of work. It's it's really, really tedious at times. Um, very tedious. I'll spend, mm-hmm. you know, literally 10 hours um, just just scrubbing a video and and that's it's just brutal but uh it's you know if 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 you're disciplined and and uh you know you know the for, the the fortunate thing now is you you can really teach yourself absolutely anything via youtube you really can mm-hmm. uh so anytime i have questions i i, I you know I'll google search it or I go to youtube and search and i can generally find the answer pretty quickly um, but yeah, you know, you know, I'm, I'm constantly exploring other videos and looking at the way other, uh, editors do things, the way other producers do things. And, um, you know, I think we all really in everything, certainly in, in, in fishing skill and, um, you know, fishing philosophy, et cetera. We're all just kind of an amalgamation of other, other people, mm-hmm. right? We all just, yeah. we just learn from others and, um, you know, we throw out the stuff that we really don't believe and we, we latch onto the stuff that sounds really logical to us. And, you know, it's definitely true in, uh, in, in, in videography as well. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate to be around some, some people who share a lot of knowledge with me and, you know, hopefully I'm still improving. Uh, I never want to stop improving. I know I got a, a lot of ground to make up, but, uh, but I really love it. I really enjoy what I do. And, and that's, what's been fun, right. Is, you know, I, in, the opening comment that I made in terms of kind of, you know, admiring you from afar because, you know, kind of my earliest memories like you, maybe not Schwegman's actually was boat stuff for me on Jefferson highway. Um, Cause I was working at my dad's shop in PM automotive right there on Jefferson highway. And he, before the weekend would come, he'd shoot me over to boat stuff uh, or buy you specialties. One of the two. And, He'd have me go and pick out some, you know, H and H cockos that we would throw, you know, for the weekend. Hey, I heard they're biting on, you know, purple and white. Okay, go get some, Chris. So that was kind of my last chore for the week was to do that. And so when we were there, man, uh, getting a Louisiana sportsman, and then we finally got a subscription. Oh my God! Like that was the greatest day of the month. 
And so the funny thing is, is flipping through those pages as like a seventh, eighth grader, then obviously through the high school year. So this would have been kind of those late nineties dating myself, um, you know, to, I graduated from high school in 99. And so, but that was, that was the heat. That was awesome. And so I remember flipping through and reading the editor notes from you. Um, and then just com- being completely enamored with, you know, the, the cover shots of like, you know, Jeff Poe or, you know, Will Drost or any of those guys that just holding up, or you know, Doc Weiss and just holding up giant trout. And that was, that kind of sealed the deal for me. And so like you read everything from stem to stern. And then funny thing is, is, you know, you, you mentioned her. And I'm not shocked in any way, shape, or form from Miss Ann Taylor, you know, rest in peace. Uh, but that's that's her in a nutshell, right? Was, you know, that that caring, um, nurturing kind of person that would reach out to you, you know, because that's just how she is and who she is uh, to say, hey, Todd, I read your stuff. It's awesome. I believe in you. Go for it. You know what I'm saying? And and she gave me that same opportunity, you know, it was obviously uh, just a couple of years ago, but able to strike that relationship with her before she inevitably passed away. And so, uh, amazing woman, uh, I, I still support the sportsman to this day as a result of both her and Tony Taylor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, and I, I may choke up talking about Ann and, and meant a lot to me. Um, mm-hmm. she, uh, I considered a very, very good friend and she, Ann was just a, just an absolute gem of a person. She really was, uh, she was taken way too early and mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it saddens me to this day. Um, uh, but yeah, and, and was, uh, and was, <laughs> and was a ton of fun. I mean, she was an yeah. absolute ton of fun, but she was also very, very, um, very, very serious when it came to fishing. She was an absolute excellent angler and, and she made a fool out of many men. Uh, that she shared a boat with and uh, she, you know, some women kind of just fish to kind of maybe be with their significant other or whatever. And was passionate about fishing. She loved it. Uh, and, and so did her husband, Tony. And, you know, he still does uh, still mm-hmm. an avid angler, but um, uh, yeah. And, and passed away, uh, I think two years ago now, two years ago, November. Yeah. yeah of, of pancreatic cancer. But um, you know, she lived a really, really good life. She was a generous person. She was very kind. Uh, she had a stint on the Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries Commission, uh, which she served very, very well. And, um, yeah, she, she, uh, I, I could go on. I, I can't say yeah. enough good things about she, Ann Taylor. Truly, man. She's one of the kind of unsung heroes, if you will, to some extent for, uh, Louisiana publishing and, in in kind of that almost like the outdoor journalism area in my arena, or at least from what I can tell. Right. I mean, she's done a lot. She sits on those commissions. She was, yeah, I mean, she was, she was Louisiana sportsman, you know? And so, um, yeah, actually, uh, and, and I haven't shared this with many people, um, you know, I'll share it now and I may even choke up to some extent. Right. But, um, one of my last articles that I wrote for Louisiana sportsman was, it was about a dirty 30 or 30 inch trout that I caught with my son. Damn it. And, um, when I caught that fish, it was no rhyme or reason. And damn it. When I released that fish, 
and watched it swim off. <clears throat> and I saw my son just kind of walking beside her. <clears throat> she had passed away at that point. And I remember thinking, um, and I wrote it to the way of like, my son was watching her kind of go back to heaven, you know? Yeah. Dude, it was, it was, uh, it was tough. It was a tough loss, man, for me. And I'm sorry to get choked up, but as you can tell, she meant a lot to me too. So I'll change the subject because I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to go that route. Uh, too much longer, but yeah, man, just an amazing woman. No and, doubt. Uh, no doubt. Uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Dealey. Um, so Louisiana Specs, sorry to shift gears. I had to because if not, I'm just going to lose the rest I'm of the waiting. show. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Louisiana Specs, man, um, I remember some early video that you shot uh, talking about the kick a mullet, uh, some roadside top water and grand out there. You had me hooked, you know, on kind of some of those kind of shorter videos, kind of bringing us along with you. And it, it was kind of funny that, you know, you have now Marshman Mass on and how it's kind of come full circle because you were really good at that then and to see it kind of transform to what it is now. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of those early videos, man. Those were killer. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, right. And yeah, they're, they're still out on YouTube, right? I, think <laughs> I don't <so>. know. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. I haven't looked, but yeah, the Kick A Mullet. I remember that. That was an Eager yeah. Bates product. Yep. Uh, and I'll tell you what, for for a season, you know, maybe six months or so, I caught some really, really nice trout on that bait. And and actually, you know, you know how baits just even for you personally, you just kind of they kind of run in and out of cycles and you, you get on a bait for a while, you get on a kick and, and you feel like, man, you, I mean, you're unstoppable with that bait. And then, you know, maybe you have a bad trip or something and you switch to something else and you start catching fish on that. And then, you know, before you know it, you've forgotten all about that bait, that kick a mullet for me for a while. And this was in 2012. I remember it well, was, was the bait for me. I remember I brought one of them on a trip I made with a good buddy of mine named Larry Fry Mm-hmm. And I caught a limit of trout throwing that kick a mullet, and he he was throwing another bait. I'm not gonna. I think he was disparage throwing, him. Yeah, I think it was a. I think it was a mirrodine. It was. It was. Yeah, I didn't okay. want to disparage him, but that's what it was. Yes, exactly. Okay. Mirror is a sponsor well. of the podcast, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> right. Look, I've I've caught many fish on that bait, but uh, but yeah. that particular day they wanted this kick a mullet, and uh, and you know I caught a limit. He may have caught I don't know four or five. Man, he was wanting to kill me because I only had one of them. It was the only one I had. But the other the other video you mentioned the the roadside speckle trout video um, actually that was the first time and it, at that point I I had been in the outdoor industry for really for twenty years two decades that was the first time a um, a a, uh, a guy was going to do a story on it ever it ever stood me up uh, I drove all the way down to Grand Isle uh, he forgot to set his alarm right so I got up you know I got up at probably yeah. one thirty two a.m. Uh, cause you know, that it's summertime, like you've got to get down there before sunrise and I drove all the way to, down to Grand Isle and, and he's not there. I call him, he doesn't answer. I call, he doesn't answer. Finally, you know, I realized he's not going to show. Uh, so I just, I fished on side of the road and ended up throwing topwater baits and catching some really nice speckled trout. Uh, so it, you know, it worked out for me, but, uh, <laughs> I think that I, I, was, 
I if forgive I remember. the guy. <laughs> you're, you're not going to say who it was, are you? No, hell no. No, <laughs> I wouldn't good. do that. <laughs> no, I'm not. But I remember you saying like, hey, I was looking around and I think you hate, like in, uh, in my old Tacoma that I had uh, in, in high school, early college, I, I would have like top water hanging on my visor and stuff like that in case I was popping down there. And I think that was, one, it was like a, I think it was like a black and chartreuse. It was, it, man. You the got a sad good memory. reality. The sad reality is, I can remember all that. And she is in the next room, but so she would probably kill me. But I can't. <laughs> I can't remember what I did two days ago. Right. Uh, can't remember your anniversary. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, it was actually a black and chartreuse uh, uh, she dog. So shout out yeah. to Miralor. But uh, that was actually in the bed of my pickup, and it'd been back there for like maybe two months. The hooks were all rusted, whatever, but <laughs> it was the only thing I had. And Because uh, when I went on stories, when I went to go do stories with people, I wouldn't fish. I would not bring a rod. I wouldn't fish. Um, I just felt like, you know, look, I'm going to miss something. I need to be shooting and all. So I, I, you know, I did have a rod, but I didn't have any baits or anything like that, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, so I threw this rickety old topwater bait and, uh, and and caught all those fish while standing on the side of the road down by, by Grand Isle. So that's hilarious. Yeah. This season, we'd like to recognize one of our newest sponsors, and that is Down South Lures. From their regular four inch southern shad to the five inch supermodel and versatile three inch burner shads, it's easy to see why these baits have become a go to for many Texas anglers. Designed with their unique hybrid tail, it's natural swims in the fall action produces big trout, not only here in the Texas coast, but across all estuaries. Aside from that though, they're made right here in the USA. So be sure to support this Texas brand that supports you in pursuit of that next big bite. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Real's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, wear what guides wear and consider real sportswear. Mirror Lure is an iconic inshore fishing lure company found in every angler's arsenal. From their legendary lineup of lures such as the Top Dog and Catch 2000 to their versatile soft plastics like the Little John and Marshmallow. These lures not only catch fish, but have produced for decades. So whether it's a 17MR or a Paul Brown Series Fat Boy, always remember to tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout anglers arsenal with great fish catching colors my personal favorites texas turnip bay mistress plum nasty to name a few it's easy to see how these things produce time and time again so next time you're targeting that next big bite i highly encourage you to fish the original custom corky and remember the big girls aren't colorblind I wanted to kind of say on the same to topic, uh, and you alluded to it earlier. You wrote specs, uh, the book specs. Obviously, the the book Trout Masters was one um, from a from a guy from an author, Gerald Horst, and he was also a, a Louisiana sportsman contributor. 
uh, and you guys knew each other well. And he's like, he's like the speckled truth or speckled truth, the speckled trout guru uh, in, in Louisiana, right? Yes. Uh, most of what I know about speckled trout biology, I've, I've learned from Gerald. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Gerald and I grew to be very good friends. I uh, still talk to this day, but yeah, he, he is, he is the biology guru on speckled trout. No question about it. And so for folks who followed along with the podcast, uh, I did talk a little bit about it because he was a participant in the program, but it was that Louisiana Trout Watchers program, which was to sum it up was a study done for larger speckled trout over 25 inches where they would actually harvest the fish, cut out the otoliths uh, or the ear bones and then age the fish and then see how long it took uh, on average and kind of create a data set. Uh, of how big those fish and how fast they would get. And so you had a lot more direct access to Gerald in a little bit more intricate conversations with regards to that. But from the little bit that I've read, it's super interesting. So if you don't mind, uh, Todd, maybe sharing a little bit of maybe about what he shared and or uh, kind of your thoughts on the on the program itself. Yeah, I, you know, thoughts on the program, just absolutely fantastic. And, and the program was in, in the early 2000s when South Louisiana was in the midst, really the whole Southeast U.S. was in the midst of a uh, um, historic drought. And, and that allowed uh, trophy-sized speckled trout to move in really close uh, to the coast, uh, even within the marsh. Uh, I think I'd mentioned to you, uh, it was during that season uh, I think late nineties, but mm -hmm. during that same season that I caught a, a, a seven pound, seven ounce speckled trout, not very far at all from, from Delacro. And that's, you know, that, that that's really is, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really unusual, really, uh, bizarre, but, um, so it's really a perfect timing for the trout watchers program. Uh, Gerald got, uh, these guys and he trained them, trained them how mm -hmm. to, uh, to remove the otoliths and, you know, a lot of people were squeamish about harvesting that many big trout, but you know, the, the, the data that was collected was just irreplaceable. Just mm -hmm. so, so good. Um, you know, they collected 254, uh, usable otoliths and, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, some of these guys fishing this thing are just, just legends. I mean, guys yeah. that, you know, certainly, you know, Terry St. Cyr, uh, Ed Sexton, Rudy Hall, John Perrin. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, Terry, uh, harvest, uh, no, no, Terry St. Cyr. Oh, St. Cyr. Got Terry St. Cyr, mm -hmm. uh, Grand Isle Angler. He, he, he harvested 50 of these trout, which is just, <laughs> just incredible. Just, yeah. that's, that's, that's hard to believe, you know, and 25 inch trout in Louisiana averaged 5.7 pounds. And I know probably your listeners in Texas think, you know, there's no way a 25 inch trout is going to be 5.7 pounds, but you know, here in Louisiana, they actually are, they really mm -hmm. grow very fat per inch. Mm -hmm. Uh, really, really heavy fish and, and, you know, the preponderance, well, a, a plurality, let's say of the fish that, uh, uh, were entered into trout watchers were from the Venice area. Um, uh, you know, second most were from, uh, from Calgary Lake. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, that's really our two trophy trout fisheries. Lake Pontchartrain also, you know, depending on the, the season, uh, being probably a you know third place mm -hmm. um but uh 
Yeah, uh, some interesting data from uh, from trout watchers. Uh, of course, you know most people would would guess this, but most of the fish were females. Uh, there were two hundred fifty four fish entered, as I mentioned. Only eighteen were males. Interesting. Uh, yeah, only eighteen were males. Um, and but you know w- one of the things that that really struck me about uh, about the data, you know, or at least the information gained from trout watchers mm-hmm. was. Uh, how many of the fish were three years old? Yeah, you know, you, you kind of think, okay, these these twenty five inch plus fish, they've got to be, you know, eight nine years old. No, uh, definitely had some, but twenty one percent of the fish caught in the Venice area were three years old, which, I mean, to me is just just mind boggling how a fish grows that quickly. And um, so, do you, do you th- I'm sorry, Todd. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, do you, do you think? And so pulling the thread a little bit and, and we've had, you know, Dr. Greg Stunz, who you probably may or may not know, but he's part of the heart research Institute here, uh, in the C center, uh, or the sports center program here in the Texas coast. Uh, and so he does this, he's a biologist and, and I haven't actually brought him the data. I'd be really interested to see if they've maybe conducted something similar here in the Texas coast, but from the fish that we've seen through the citation data that we've collected, um, some of the larger fish, cause some folks have harvested the fish as a result of the tournament and they didn't want to. And so they were going to make like a replica mount or they were going to do a skin mount cause of the fish. And I'm like, Hey, why don't you donate it to like DMR or department of wildlife and fisheries or Texas parks and wildlife, let them get some science off of it. And then you get, you're going to go get a replica anyway. And so let, let them have the fish, you know what I'm saying? That way they can act, actually examine it for science and see if there's like some genetic makeup of these fish or make, cause it's crazy to think. And I was talking with Dr. Stuns after the show that we did most recently, uh, down there at, uh, the heart research Institute. And so what Dr. Stuns was saying is that they can look at these otoliths and see through the growth rings and they can do like isotope testing and actually determine what part of the estuary, like what part of the basin this fish was in during a certain part of the year, and then go back and look environmentally at salinity levels, at bait levels, X, Y, or Z, uh, and then determine why. And so in hopes to maybe see and kind of replicate that. So from the science perspective, you know, it makes sense to do these programs. But aside from that, like a trout to grow that big, that quickly, it has to be something from a genetic makeup. And so why was that the case kind of during that epic run in the Southeast, actually really in the Louisiana estuary or actually the Louisiana coast, right? Cause I mean, that's when, you know, um, some of the, the state's top 10 fish were caught kind of in that late 90 to, to mid 2000 range. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was about a six-year period. I'm going to say from maybe '98 to 2004, uh, and you know, a, a lot of the kids who kind of came up in that period thought that was normal. Uh, mm-hmm. A good buddy of mine, Chad Champagne, is one of them. You know, he he, he decries "quote unquote" poor fishing now because <laughs> yeah. he came up in that period. I'm like, listen, dude, that that was not normal. That was not normal. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a fish right now on my wall. Uh, that I caught in 2001 on Calcasieu Lake uh, that weighed eight pounds, eight ounces. And, you know, that fish today would be widespread oh news. It would, yep. it, it, we don't, we don't catch eight pound, eight ounce fish in Louisiana anymore. We just don't. 
but back then it was just kind of, oh, congratulations, nice fish. You know, just it was a nice fish. Everybody acknowledged that, but it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, what it would be today. And then, you know, the pendulum obviously has swung substantially in the other direction. We are in the midst of an 11-year, very, very wet period. Uh, and, and, you know, so there's lots and lots of fresh, dirty water throughout the, uh, ecosystem and, and, you know, speckled trout as they age, their osmoregulatory system becomes far less efficient. Uh, they need that saltier water and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, speckled trout are really kind of swimming enigmas because they need both. And, and you, you get a certain, certain group of people who decry, uh, these freshwater diversions and, and, uh, and, and all the rainfall we're getting and whatever. And, uh, because of the impacts it has on spawning speckle trout makes them harder to catch in the summer months. They're farther out. Uh, they're more dispersed. Uh, but the reality is those conditions are ideal for juvenile Mm -hmm. speckle trout. They want that turbid water, uh, with really, really low salinity. That's where they do the best and they really thrive. You've got to have both. And, you know, if you have the pendulum swing too far in one way or the other, it's not good for the species in general. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big uh, diversion proponent, you know, and that's a big mm-hmm. controversy here in South Louis- Southeast Louisiana. Um, uh, definitely has some, some short-term negative impacts, no doubt about it. But, uh, uh you know, long-term health of the species and, and throughout the life cycle of a speckled trout, uh, they need that fresh water. They absolutely do. And, and, you know, if you, if, you know, if you have a, a, a situation where you have just pure Gulf water, uh, in a particular estuary, you're not going to have very, very many speckled trout at all. You just aren't. Yeah. So the counter to that would be obviously Laguna Madre. So we on average see about 36 parts per thousand almost yearly. Uh, it's a hypersaline environment here in the Texas coast. That's obviously why you see a lot of really large trout. Sure. But if you talk to a lot of the the uh, legends here, a lot like Doc McKee, uh, Mike Blackwood, and and he, I know these are names that you don't necessarily quite know, but these are like the the uh, you know Dudley Vandebor or like mm-hmm. the you know the Doc Weiss and the Kenny Kriegers of the world, right? Here, uh, and really Doc McKee is kind of like the Gerald Horst uh, of of Texas, right? And, sure. and so what he's saying and through the course of his, you know, five decade long half century of study of the, the Texas bays is that really the, the bigger change, uh, it, it's multifaceted pressure is obviously one facet of that, but really watershed was one of the biggest things. They actually did have a little bit uh, more freshwater watershed into the fishery versus what they have now. Uh, to the point where even, you know, through, you know, Doc McKee's study, Baffin Bay, which is obviously super synonymous with giant, you know, world-class trophy trout, uh, was at one point an actual freshwater bay. Hmm. And and so it really shows that, yeah, if you go one way or the other to, to you know, the polarity of those two aren't good, you got to find that sweet spot. And I think that's what's cool, you know, about these trout watchers programs, about, you know, some other programs that, you know, or, or the tag Louisiana program, I thought obviously pops was, was a big proponent of that and participated in that, but there's just so much you can understand that the geotagging, that's what Dr. Stuns was talking about. I think you may have participated in, in some of those geotagging programs, but just to see their movements. And 
and if you haven't uh, listened to that podcast, Todd, with uh, with Doctor Stuns, uh, you know, not to, it's just awesome. You can fast forward to like midway and then kind of listen on because the geotagging thing it, it really busted a lot of myths. And I was sitting in the room, kind of listening to Doctor Stuns, and I'm like, like jaw dropped. I'm like, really, <laughs> you know? And it was very fascinating about how much fish move, and particularly trout. I mean. They did some geotagging for a lot of these larger fish here, and they would move up to like 20 miles a day. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, But they would be caught and recaptured in the same spot if they were in a, like a traditional dart tag. Right. You'd almost go, oh, that fish doesn't move. Well, <laughs> right. through geotagging, right. dude, that fish like is swimming all over creation and just so happens to get recaptured in that same spot. So you're like, dang. Yeah, we, we, busted, we, you know? we, we have trout that are caught, you know, well inland in, in July and, and, you know, sizable 17, 18 inch trout, definitely mature, uh, definitely spawning fish. But, and, and I've, I've long queried biologists about that and they say they'll move in, particularly the females, the males mm-hmm. necessarily won't, the males, uh, the males will actually spawn every single night. So they're not going to miss their chance to spawn. They're going to stay outside in those spawning grounds. They're a lot like, you know, male humans, but, uh, but the females, they'll just kind of chase that. They'll just chase that bait and they're going to spawn on average every 21 days. And they're just going to kind of, you know, I don't have to spawn the next few days. I'm chasing bait. I'm just, I'm just mm-hmm. going to eat. And if it, that, that bait is, it happens to be 20 miles inland. Well, that's where I'm going to end up. And then I'll swim right back out and, and go do my thing and, and come back and, and eat some more. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, you talked about busting the myths and that's, that's what makes them so fascinating is that, you know, we all have these, uh, <laughs> these kind of truisms that are just axiomatic, just, just ingrained mm-hmm. in us. And, um, so many of them are just false, just not based in science. They're just based in what mm-hmm. we think we know. Uh, and we, we, we just really don't. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, whatever you believe, if you believe it strongly enough, you'll find things to confirm that bias. And, and uh, none of us want to have those those just completely blown to smithereens. Right. We just yeah. we just kind of cling to them. And and that's what's true. Damn it. And I, I'm not going to believe anything else. And yeah, uh, that that to me is is I love having my my speckled trout speckled trout beliefs busted because it, it just it kind of opens up a whole new. Uh, avenue for exploration and, and figuring things out and okay let's see if I can determine what what was going on here and why it was happening mm-hmm. and and could it could it be repeated and you know that that's what that's what makes the fish fun yeah and, and to your point right I mean you know one of the it's not necessarily a myth but it's really angler uh tendencies and so when we were collecting and still collecting our citation data we look at obviously lore type and methodology, right? And so asking lure type, you know, top water, soft plastic, corky, whatever, whatever. Um, and so what we would see is typically um, a lot of your smaller profile baits in the summertime happen to catch, because we're only looking at 27 inch trout or above, but all those larger fish in the summertime are really coming either on smaller soft plastics and or live bait. And you go, okay. And so you look in the wintertime and a lot of your wintertime trout are coming on you know, Corky Fat Boys, uh, Bone, uh, or I'm sorry, um, Head and Super Spooks, a lot of larger profile, you know, tails and, and six inch, you know, pl- soft plastics. And, 
you know, just, and what I was always taught and what, it, what pops always told me is, Hey, in a winter time, you downsize, Yeah, no <laughs> you know? And so yeah. you're like, wait, wait a minute. Actually, I find it almost now through citation data, my own personal experience is that I catch, you know, more in, in slightly larger fish in the summertime, throwing a Ned rig, which is like two and a half inches versus a, you know, a big, you know, paddles, tail, soft plastic or, you know, big head and super spook. And, and I know those aren't, you know, complete truisms, um, but if you, if you grow the data set enough, it has to have some kind of axiom of truth, you know what I'm saying? And, and so that's, what's been fun to kind of dissect and pull and kind of collect this through a voluntary measure to see what people are actually doing and then kind of put it together and then kind of throw it out there and people are like, holy crap, I never thought never thought of that. Right. Always hear low and slow in the wintertime. Well, people are catching a ton of, you know, big fish here in the Texas coast on freaking top waters in the middle of February. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and it's like, yeah, if, if enough anecdotes align, then it it (laughs) starts to kind of form a trend and, 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 you know, it's, it's not necessarily scientific, but it's, it's, you know, how much of what we do (laughs) in fishing is scientific it's, it's mostly anecdotes. It's mostly based mm-hmm. on that and, and just experience. And, you know, we can't prove it, but, uh, it just seems to be logical. And, and, you know, thinking about it now, I, I, there's probably a lot to that. And, and you're right. It does, it, it flies in the face of conventional wisdom. Uh, typically bait, bait fish by the end of summer is pretty darn big. Yeah, right. Uh, you yes. know, in, in, in winter it's, it's, it's pretty small. And, and so you would think, but you know, who knows? Maybe, <laughs> so, maybe so the, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say like here in the Texas coast, my theory is, and this is what's great about having these conversations, right? Is that, you know, I'm in a completely different fishery. I definitely understand, you know, what's going on in Southeast Louisiana and, and you'd be hard pressed to find me not throw something like a matrix shad in the wintertime and fish it deep and da 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 da. Right. Um, but here, at least theory in Texas is that a lot of those fish, you know, have spawned in the, in the late winter, spring months. And now those fish have now grown to a much more mature size. And now the fish that either is either weak and or consumed or is now pushed out of the fishery, uh, was that smaller fin fish or, you know, smaller bait fish. And so really what you have left is that larger kind of hardier mullet, pinfish, you know, in that type of stuff, right? To include, you know, smaller trout that were probably in the spawn that have now grown to six to eight to 10 inches, you know, because they grow pretty quick in that first year. Sure. And so now, you know, those larger fish that are lumbering around on flats looking for a meal and then kind of going to sit down, they're not looking for that little two inch bait they're looking for something in that kind of five to eight inch profile. Right. And so now, you know, you're kind of matching the hatch in my, and again, that's theoretically, it makes sense in my brain kind of backed with science, but logically it kind of makes sense. But I, I, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. It's, you know, sitting here listening to you explain it. Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I can, I can definitely see, uh, that being logical and, and, um, you know, certainly a speckled trout that time of year in the winter time doesn't have to eat often. Uh, you know, their metabolism is really slow, so they're not mm-hmm. digesting food really quickly. And, you know, big, if, if you know, particularly we're talking about big trout, trophy trout, yeah. obviously, you know, different deal for schoolies, but, 
uh, a trophy trial is probably looking for one meal. Yeah, he's getting up, he's going, uh, or she, can't say he, uh, is getting up and going and looking for something to eat. And if I'm feeding today, then I, I want something that's going to sustain me for the next two weeks. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so maybe I'll hit that bigger bait. And, yeah. you know, that's, and, and I think you and I have talked about this in the past, but that's, that to me is, that's, that's the time. Like, that's, that's when, if I want to catch, I want to catch a big trout it's it's in the winter it's really when a lot of speckled trout fishermen are not fishing it's yeah uh, you know you're not you're not going to catch a lot of fish certainly but um you know if you want to target a big fish one or two big fish in an outing that's uh you know that's the time i, I most like to do it particularly yeah. if you can pick your days like if you got to put an x on a calendar and say i'm going this day uh, you're probably going to get blown out. It's, it's probably not going to be very good. But if you can pick your days and go when conditions are right, uh, man, December, January, February, those those months are hard to beat. It, it just so happened, right, it was a couple years ago, we, we tried to tee that up when just absolutely in, in weather, <laughs> you and Joel were coming over, went kaput. And it was it the week before or week after uh, we had the kanks because of a, you know, hard Northern blew through. I caught that 10 pounder <laughs> and yes. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, the, actually the, the day you and I were supposed to go or the days we were supposed to, it was, it was blowing like, literally yeah. 30 out of the North. It was yeah. 25 degrees. Yeah. Just completely undoable. But yeah, like three or four days later, you sent me a picture of, of you with a big 10. Like, I'm like, thanks I'm Chris. So, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> right. Uh, but, yep. uh, you know, having that ability to kind of, you know, go and, and when we kind of set those dates, it was really based on moon phase and high salooner and really trying to put you guys on a, on an optimal bite. It's just weather didn't hold out. And so to your point, which is if you can earmark a date and kind of circle one on the calendar, uh, man, that's, that is a, that's a freaking roulette table, uh, deluxe there, sure. you know, yeah. but if you have the ability to kind of make it happen, like you do in the marsh, like I do here kind of go when you can, uh, which is a lot more availability, then the odds obviously go up uh, tremendously. So um, I did. So Louisiana Trout Watchers, to kind of really sum that up, I mean, talking with Gerald, um, awesome program. Uh, what else did you hear or learn, or was that about it? Um, well, you know, I, I, I guess some of the data that, uh, you know, was interesting is how few of the fish were um, – and, and I don't know if we, if I learned this from trout watchers or not, but how few of the fish are, or, or old fish, you know, speckled trout live generally, I mean, a decade is a really, really, really mm -hmm. old fish. Um, but uh, I saw it somewhere. I don't, I wrote it down, but, uh, like 2.2% per, of the fish are, uh, or seven years or older, you know, so that tells you that, um, you know, those, those big trophies are, are super rare and that's you know that's why they're so valuable to us right mm -hmm. it, it's it's not something you can go out there and uh catch every day and if it was it wouldn't be special right but uh you know those big trophy uh 25 plus inch fish uh they're just they're just really rare they're just exceptional mm -hmm. and you know dudley vandenborg always calls them you know particularly ones we talked about earlier that uh are three years old dudley calls them Shaquille O'Neal's, you know, that's what they yeah. are. Like, you know, you, you have in the human race, you have Shaquille O'Neal's and then you have Danny DeVito's, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and these fish are just freaks. They're just freaks of nature. They grow really, really quickly. And that's, you know, that's, that's why you want those genes in that population. And that's why those mm -hmm. fish, 
you know, look, the, I, I'll be honest, the eight, 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 I've got on my wall is a, is a skin mount. Would I mm-hmm. do that today? Hell no. But, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, those fish and, and look, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a crazy person to wear. Like, you know, some kid catches an eight pound trot and he wants to mount it. Hey, good for him. Take that fish and go mount it. Whatever you want to catch a few fish, put in your cooler and take them home and go fillet them it. and eat them. No problem. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I, I just, I just, I can't <laughs> at yeah. this stage of my life, I just can't see killing a big fish like that. I just couldn't do it. And that's the, that's the cool part about having, you know, all you guys as guests on here. And and I love, I've followed you long enough and I know hey, you say it in your videos, I'm having a fish fry. Family's coming over. Y'all boxing 25. Hey man, or boxing 50. I know you've changed it recently to, you know, Hey, on my boat for 21, I think. Uh, or beyond, I don't know. I think it's 10 fish or 10 trout per person or something like that. And I'll let you kind of explain that. But before, um, all the folks that we've had on here, the Cliff Webbs, the Jay Watkins, McBrides, the, I mean, you name it, right? It, it, you got to go through that. And we, I'm sorry, listeners, but you know, that maturation process of like, inevitably you get to get to that level of just understanding the value of those fish, uh, those bigger ones and kind of let them go. Um, Cliff Webb, I'm sitting in him and, and you probably, again, kind of don't necessarily know who he is, but funny story in, in kind of a Cliff Notes version of that is, you know, he's a kind of a Baffin Bay Upper Laguna legend here. Um, 10, 10, 10 pound trout and 10 cast, literally. Holy crap. And, and wow. he's got the mount, skin mount uh, in his house. Uh, and uh, also in his house, or, you know, I'd probably say I'm trying to, th- think about looking around in his living room particularly the two that are in his coffee table uh 33 34 inches you know pushing 13 pounds and um it goes to your point when i was asking about that i would never keep that fish today one that probably fish doesn't exist you know anymore in the fishery sadly uh, just so much pressure a lot of over harvest here and, and stuff like that but even if it did, you know, I'm just to that point and, and want to encourage others that, man, that fish is way more valuable alive than it is uh, sitting in a coffee table. Right. So, but so 10 fish per person on your boat, is that what it is going forward or, or what? Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I set I set that as a rule this spring and, and, uh, you know, it's, and that's still plenty. You know, we, we have very generous limits here in South Louisiana yeah. or, you know, in, in really Southeast Louisiana, Southwest yeah. has different regulations, but you know, we keep 25 per angler and, and, you know, definitely been many, many trips in my life where I've caught and kept my 25, uh, speckle trout, but you know, it, it, I, I love to eat fish. I love to give fish to people who don't get fish. Um, uh, I, I still do that. I still mm-hmm. invite uh, friends and family members over who, who don't have fish and feed them fish. And they're very grateful. They love it. Um, but I, you know, I, I just, you know, Not- I, it, it, look, I, and I, I know, I, I know that I know the science, right. I definitely know the science. I know that me keeping 25 speckled trout is a blip on yep. the, uh, on the overall, number of fish in the Louisiana coast. Um, but I, I just, I don't need them. And, 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 you know, I still fish with guys who they cannot, they cannot release a fish until they got their limit. They can't do it. 
um, you know, and for me, you know, our, our, our minimum size limit here is 12 inches and, and I get mocked all the time on my YouTube channel because I would much rather keep a 12 inch speckle trout than a 15 inch speckle trout. That's, I, I just enjoy eating them more. I think they taste better, whatever. Uh, so anything over about 15 inches, I release, I let it go. <laughs> I've yep. got no interest in keeping it. Uh, so I keep those 12 to 15 inch fish and, uh, you know, and I, I'll limit myself and any one of my boat to 10. That's all you can keep on my boat is 10 per person. And, and, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it, 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 as much as anything, it limits that localized overfishing. And that's really the issue. You know, we, we get certain areas where the speckled trout will group up at certain times of year, and you can definitely overfish that area. You can outfish it. And people think, speckle trout schools are just endless. Like you should be able to go there today and catch your 25 and go there tomorrow and catch your 25, go there next day and catch your 25. That's not the way it works. There's a limited number of fish there. And if you keep pulling those fish out, there's not gonna be any fish left. And, and I, I just, I, I would much rather catch fish, uh, than I would eat them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but I do like to eat them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that, but I'd much rather catch them than I would eat them. And so, you know, I'll keep a few fish and, 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 and harvest them and I'll feed my family and I'll invite my friends over and whatever. And 10 is plenty to do that. Um, but the rest I'm going to let go. And that was what was cool. When you announced that video, I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a viewer just like everybody else. And when you saw that, I'm like, what? I'm like, that's great because it is a take what you need and release the rest. You do have, you know, a very large platform. You've been around this for a very long time. Uh, and, and to some extent, a leader to kind of show Hey man, that's it, it, just kind of all I need. And that's okay. You know, cause you know, growing up and I'm sure like you, man, look, we didn't come back by like eight 30 or nine without a limit. That was a failure. If we right. caught 35 and not 50 tough day, tough day. Right. right. And, and, and so, man, you know, ever since I've kind of went through that transition, we always, and that's kind of speckled truth's mantra is take what you need and release the rest. It's not an in-your-face conservation deal. It is, it's just about responsible harvest. Um, and so that's what it's about. And kind of since I shifted that mindset, it's really taken some pressure off of having to fill the box or load a stringer to now wanting, like you said, uh, I find more enjoyment in catching the fish than I do eating them, even though I do like that, I'd much prefer catch more fish than clean a bunch of fish. So I, I don't know, man, I, I, I applaud your efforts there, Todd. And, and I can understand that and I empathize it, you know, you know, with that. And, um, I think it's a good thing, man. And, and I, I think it sets a, you know, a gold standard. You're already kind of a gold standard in kind of the Southeast Louisiana area with, you know, all the stuff you produce and people look up to you and, kind of set that precedence, I think is a really, really good thing of just a delicate balance of, Hey man, take what you need and release the rest. That's it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the fishing tradition in Southeast Louisiana or South Louisiana in general is just, it's, it's so rich, but so is the, the food culture here. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's, and I think those things, those two things do go hand in hand. And, you know, for those outside the state who probably haven't followed this closely, you know, we do have a 25 fish speckle trout limit. However, uh, that's likely very, very soon to, uh, to change the, the state department of life and fisheries last October decided to punt until this October, a change in regulation. And, um, 
I'm almost positive this October, it's going to be, it's going to be tightened up. And, and I'm not going to say it needs to be because I'm not familiar with the exact Mm -hmm. science that they've done recently to say, absolutely. It has to happen. I know back when I was still writing and, and exploring this, you know, in much greater detail than I, than I have in recent years. Um, you know, the SPRs, the spawning potential ratios here were really low. Um, you know, the, the spawning biomass had, had, had declined as well. Um, you know, we're losing a lot of marsh here. Our ecosystem is not, um, is, is not what it once was. Uh, so, so I think, I think probably the limit does need to, uh, need, does need to reduce to some degree. Now, now what happens and, you know, do they decide to really jump up that minimum size limit? Do they mm-hmm. decide to really reduce creel limit? Who knows? It'd probably be some, uh, you know, balance of both. But uh, but I think our, our limits are definitely going to change here in the short run. Yeah. I was talking to Pops about that, you know, during Hurricane Ida relief and, and helping him pick up. And he, he casted, for lack of better terms, his ballot or filled out his survey of kind of what, you know, um, he proposed it. I think it was like catch data of, you know, taking, you know, an account, how many, how many fish you catch per trip, you know, da, 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 da. and he was kind of explaining it. And so he, he put his stuff in there and he kind of shared the same sentiment, which is, I think it's going to change. Um, it, and admittedly not a huge proponent for change in terms of regulatory guidance. Our biggest thing in kind of what we've been trying to push from a speckled truth thing is like, man, if we could just somehow police ourselves, right. I'd much prefer not have limits at all Amen. Uh, because we have the self-discipline to manage and actively manage a fishery. Right. Cause I'm not, I'm not knocking on the doors of the Capitol saying, Hey, you need to lower the limit. Da, 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 da. Instead I'm trying to dig into the hearts of people and go, Hey, if you can somehow change your individual behavior and those around you, we won't need limits and we will have a very good fishery. Um, and that's what our approach is. So you'll never see me knocking on the door of, you know, demanding uh, more regulatory guidance or limit reductions and things of that nature. Instead, I'm hoping we can kind of police ourselves somewhat, you know, from a freshwater industry standard of like, that's just kind of the going rate, man. If you want to keep a few, some people do, most people don't, you know, and, and, a lot of places have really good fisheries. Um, so I don't know, man, it, it whew, we're, I, I told Devin Denman this, I've told a lot of my friends this, uh, I'm telling you this, man, I really think like the saltwater industry is in like the 1970s BASS right now, uh, of kind of where we are, you know, it just maybe just generally growing some greater appreciation for a game fish, uh, to where it, yeah, it has some relevance on a dinner plate, but not as much as relevance um, in the fishery. Sorry, no soapbox removed. I think you're right. No, I think <laughs> so. you're right. It, it's it would it would be wonderful if if we could uh, police ourselves and just kind of get this ethic of of, of catch and release, um, you know, which kind of does exist in the in the freshwater space. Um, you know, it, but, you know, obviously there's going to be some people who, whatever you can tell them they can keep 25, they're going to keep 50, you know, yeah. uh, it's just the way it is. And, and, um, it'll always, it'll always be the case, but, um, Such yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, I think the mindsets are changing. I really do. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I think, I think our minds are expanding here in Louisiana and, and uh, 
you know, people are starting to value the species more, you know, particularly because in the past, past decades, speckled trout fishing here in South Louisiana has not been what it was previous to that. It, it's, it's gotten a lot tougher. It's really gotten a lot tougher. Uh, it's definitely the most challenging fishing of, of, of my career. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of the reasons we kind of mentioned already. And I think that pendulum will certainly swing the other way and, and things sure. will balance out, but, uh, it's, 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 it's been tough. And, you know, when you run across a, a good school of speckled trout now, you definitely appreciate it more than you did perhaps, you know, 20 years ago. But, um, uh, yeah, it, to me, yeah, 10 fish, plenty, it's plenty enough on my boat. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to feed a, a good number of people with, uh, with my 10 fish and, and, and really that's, that's all I need. And if you got Joel there, uh, there's chances are that's, that's 10 fish in a box. <laughs> yes, yes. That sucker can fish, man. He's got a stick. Yeah. Joel can fish. He's, he's, that's my son for those who don't know, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a really good angler. He's 22 years old and, um, he's, you know, definitely my favorite fishing partner as I'm sure your dad felt about you when you oh, were man. coming up and, yep. and probably, you know, I'm sure still to this day, but, yep. um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just a joy. It's, it's the joy of my life to be able to go fish with my son. And, and that's where he and I talk about life and talk about, uh, you know, things that are going on with him and figuring out life's problems. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's just, uh, I, I, again, I, I just, I don't know how people who don't fish do it. I just, <laughs> I just don't. It's so foreign to me. I don't know. How, how do you, how do you survive life? Never experiencing what we get to experience. I, I, I don't get it. It's unfortunate, man. Uh, yeah. That's a therapy office, doctor office, uh, stress release. I was talking to a guy last night. It, it's kind of all in one. And uh, Pop says, and I'm sure you do, but man, you, <laughs> if you don't fish um, for a long time, if there's, you know, particularly now for him, he's still doing Ida. He just got power back from the storm mm. last night. Um, so he's obviously hasn't been on the water in forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's damn near going crazy. I mean, that, that is his sanity. You know, I mean, he, my mom goes and works at the loft. He goes fishing. That's just life. Um, but I will say this, they live a happy life. And so, um, anyway, it, it's, I, I'm with you, man. All right. So let's wrap it up, man. We're, we're, we're a little bit actually over time. It goes quick. Um, but I want to ask you a couple quick questions and, and we'll close out the show here. Uh, so first off, you've come across so many anglers, phenomenal anglers you've mentioned many of them in this show um what angler you know across the coast uh do you most admire or look up to that you know uh that's that's a really 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 difficult question i've had the very good fortune to fish with um you know i I calculated the other day i did some rough math you know i've been with over 300 guides in my fishing career uh, so I fish with some really excellent, excellent anglers and, and, um, you know, what, 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 what angler do I most admire? <laughs> it's probably my son, Joel, if I got to be honest, that uh, is fair. If, if I, if I'm, if, if I have to pick somebody to, to come with me and, and, you know, our lives depend on catching fish, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Joel. Yep. I don't know of, of very many other people I would, I would put above him, um, I- I'd probably venture to say he says the same, you know, about you. <laughs> no, I'm serious, man. He, I, I, he probably does, but yeah. Um, I say it about pops, man. I, yeah, I'd rather but, not share the, a boat with anyone else than than that man right there. Yeah. Well, for those who don't know, and I'm sure most of your listeners do, your your dad's your dad's a legend here in, in South Louisiana, and he's he's rightfully earned it. He's he's such a good dude, but very very good angler. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, I can empathize with that answer uh, as a son uh, who looks up to his pops, and I'm sure you know, not knowing Joel, uh, but you do. Um, I would hope he would say the same, man, because at some point uh, he'll, he'll revisit some of those conversations in a boat and realize it was never about fishing, right? So, sure. Yeah. What's um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> favorite time of year for you uh, to target some either bigger fish or just kind of trout in general? Yeah, that's that's an easy answer. And I, you know, this is speckled truth. We're all about you know uh, trophy trout. So yeah. uh, it, it, if if I'm going it, to go catch you know, the, the trout of the year for me, the biggest trout of the year. Um, you know, most people would say May for me, it's, it's actually, uh, it's actually February. Yep. Uh, again, you've got to be able to pick your days. Um, but that's, that's when those big girls, I mean, if you go work an area with, with clean water, moving water, mullet and grass to me, if, if you go spend some time throwing a big top water bait, uh, jerk bait on it on it you know I, i'd probably throw a jerk bait as well certainly um probably a maybe a miradine whatever but i'm gonna spend a lot of time throwing a big clunky top water bait mm-hmm. um and that's you know you're gonna catch you're gonna catch a big fish um so yeah so february february would be my month um okay. I, I i love it yep uh okay last question potentially very tight uh, sensitive one, particularly for those who live in Southeast Louisiana. Um, first off, do you think the current record state record speckled trout, um, will ever be broken? So, yeah, actually I did a story on, on that fish when I was at, uh, the times Picayune and, and I'm convinced, uh, that fish is illegitimate. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm almost positive that fish was gillnet caught. Uh, and I, I had, some gill netters review the picture and they're, they're utterly convinced it was gill net caught. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> not to disparage Mr. Leon Mattis, but, um, yes, forever is a very long time. And yes, that fish will definitely be, be beat. It won't be beaten in any time in the next uh, year or two. We need, uh, the pendulum to swing the other way when we need some, some dry years, that, uh, allow those, those bigger fish to get much closer to the coast. And, uh, um, do a whole lot better in these uh, in these coastal marshes. Then definitely, yes, that fish will be beat. I'm I'm, I'm shocked it was not beat in the late '90s or early 2000s. Came but close. A couple of fish came really really close, uh, including one I had the good fortune of holding in my hands. That was caught by a Dudley Vandenboard, ten point I think it was ten point five pounds. Um, but uh, yeah, some fish came close, but uh, no cigar. But that fish will definitely be beat. No question about it. Did you get a chance to uh, ever talk to Kenny Krieger about his eleven? Yeah, I interviewed Kenny back when uh, back when he caught the fish. Uh, he caught it on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I'm gonna say around '99, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, that was uh, quite an impressive fish. I think he caught, I think he caught like two or three fish all day that day, uh, fishing mm-hmm. one of the bridges. I think Highway 11 uh, in, uh, like I said, late nineties, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite a beautiful, quite a beautiful fish. Um, it it was really, really close. Hmm. I'd love to hear that story. You know, one day I've heard it a little bit from Chaz, uh, Doc Weiss shared a little bit about that fish. I'd I'd be interested to kind of just hear his take on that day and kind of his recollection of, you know, hooking in that fish, you know, kind of fighting that fish. Um, I'd be, I'd be super interested to maybe hear that, um, 
anyway, uh, that'd be cool. But what what an awesome uh, what an awesome fish. What was it like eleven one, eleven two? Yeah, it was it was Something it like was that. up it's there. Ridiculous. It was it was over eleven. I don't remember the exact number, but yeah, it yeah. was uh, it was it was close. Uh, yeah. It was it was. It, well, you know, I don't think it is still number two. Uh, if memory serves, I think another fish was caught in the Wrigley's that uh, that may have been maybe number two now. But um, yeah, it was it was it was eleven pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Todd, thanks so much, man. Um, I, I I know we don't you know converse uh, a tremendous amount uh, through text here and there. Obviously, you know, um, I certainly you know admire from afar what you're doing. Certainly a follower, like many people are out there and, and really have, have been that way for quite some time. Uh, really respect what you've done, respect what you do, um, and really appreciate it. And, and so I really want to thank you again, man, for your time today and just, um, uh, sharing some stories, man, sharing your journey. Um, sorry to tear up, man, talking with Anna. I know it's a sensitive subject for both of us and I, po- I appreciate your patience on that one, man, but thanks so much, man, for being on the show. Well, Chris, as I mentioned, it was it was definitely an honor. Uh, you know what you built is is quite impressive uh, with the Speckle Truth, and and I appreciate what you stand for uh, for this this species that you and I both admire so much. And uh, anytime, man, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for for staying with us uh, throughout the show. If you've listened to this part, uh, what an awesome. What an awesome episode today. Appreciate your patience uh, with Hurricane Ida and kind of get my folks recovered from that. And so the lull in podcast episode releases, really appreciate that. Uh, also want to sh- throw a quick shout out to our sponsors, Real Sportswear, Texas Custom Lures, the original Custom Corky, Mirror Lure, Down South Lures, Carbon Carboline uh, Technologies. Really appreciate their support for this year's podcast. And wanna, once again, want to say thanks again to Todd uh, for again kind of sharing his thoughts and, and, and yeah, just general overall uh, journey with us. And so until next time, guys, tight lines. God bless. And always remember take what you need, release rest. God bless.